telling him to get over it. It's like the guy with a broken leg in the wheelchair and telling him to walk. It's those moments where you could be kind and caring and compassionate and sit with them. That's Mickey Kennedy. I'm your host, Jared Lestrange, and you're listening to episode 32 of The Super Dad Show. Today on The Super Dad Show, we are joined by Mickey Kennedy. Now, Mickey was actually referred to me for the podcast by Lisa Rigoni. He comes highly recommended because one of the things that he is most passionate about is talking about mental health. And what we want to do on this podcast today is dive into that. It's an area that comes up so much in our group. Obviously, we have such a close-knit group that allows these dads to reach out and share what's going on in their lives. And we've even managed to um, help some people get over suicidal thoughts and tendencies over the years as well. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Mickey Kennedy and um, let's find out more about him and, uh, and get to know him better. Welcome to the Super Dad Show, Mickey Kennedy. Thank you very much, man. It's a pleasure to be on and it's a pleasure to be um, speaking on the Super Dad Show. I'm grateful that you're here with us. And uh, look, first question, um, one of the things that I actually see is that you talk about the strongest, weakest link. Can you unpack for us, for starters, what you mean by that? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think it all come about for me when I was talking to a mate and whenever we unload about depression or suicidal thoughts or whatever it may be, especially being in the fitness industry, everybody goes, oh, but man, like, would you actually suffer with that? Like, I never thought that would be something you would suffer with. And it got me thinking. And what it got me thinking was that a lot of the big key players in my life that are strong people are the people putting on the brave face for everyday society. Mm-hmm. And it got me kind of unpacking this idea that the strongest people sometimes carry the biggest rock behind them. And that was the big thing for me to go, okay, well, sometimes the strongest person can be the weakest link because if they're not speaking up and they're not addressing what's going on, yeah, they're being brave for everybody else. But at the same time, they're, they're pulling everybody else down because they're not communicating. Mm-hmm. So let's take it back. I mean, I wanted to start with that just to get a bit of an insight for starters as to uh, why we've got you on the show today and, and what you've got to kind of um, really share with with insight. So let's look back on where this insight came from. Um, have you been the strongest, weakest link in your own life? Yeah, definitely, man, definitely. Um, I lost my mother at the age of 20. And I kind of just got on with life. And unfortunately for everyone else, I was being their glue. And, you know, no one was being that glue for me. No one was putting me back together. Um, And I just started to spiral out of control. And the biggest thing was that I didn't lean on anybody because I was what everybody called the strong guy who just got on with it and didn't allow it to affect them. But really, you know, while everyone thought I was treading water, I was deep under that water. So I would definitely say at the age of 20, you know, losing your only parent and trying to find your feet in this world. And it was hard. And being that strongest, weakest link, I learned that, you know, sometimes just speaking up about those problems going on, a lot more people can relate than, than you actually know. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight now, looking back 
what could you have done differently apart from talking to the people around you? I mean, what would you have said to them in that state of mind? Look, I, I honestly, I think about it every day. I still have, you know, the nightmares of, of my mum in hospital and, you know, the moments where we were unpacking all the information, which was pretty much, you know, come say you goodbyes and whatnot. And I always go back to the thought of when it all ended, I laid in bed and I just laid there and I was about to go to train. And I remember I was getting ready for a powerlifting meet. And at the time I thought to myself, you know, here's my mother that's just passed. And we were very poor. We didn't have much growing up. And the big thing was that she always instilled into me work ethic. That was the biggest thing. You know, you, you can only dwell on now and not the past and not the future because we don't, you know, we don't know what the future is. So I was laying in bed and I just went, okay, you know, I can either be laying here and crying over my mother or I can get up and get moving and, and take ownership of my own life. And at the time I thought that was the right thing to do. And I look back and I just wish I sat there and I processed it because that emotion deserved to be felt for what it was in that moment because you can try and relive that moment over and over again, but nothing is ever going to compare to the pure emotion that is that original, authentic moment. Mm, mm, mm. And how educated are you on the grieving process now? For our listeners that don't know much about that, um, yeah, I mean, what what was it like for you and, um, and what do you know about it now? Look, I completely, like throughout this whole process, I went through every stage. And the big thing for me was I turned angry and I turned very, very angry. And for anybody who goes to the gym and is training on the regular, they know that, you know, that anger is really good to be in the gym with, but you take that outside of the gym and you're pretty much a self-destructive mess. Mm. I blamed a lot of people. I become very depressed and suicidal with trying to, you know, bargain and plea with a higher power to swap me for my mom because you know she actually wanted to be alive and I didn't mm. you know all of the all of the steps man I I was there but the worst one was definitely the um the anger the anger that led to some severe severe life-changing situations mm. Mm. And look, we um, we actually had our first conversation the other day on the phone while I was walking around Aldi doing some shopping for the family, and uh, I was amazed how how deep we got into things then. And I thought this is going to be an incredible um, you know podcast for for so many to listen to for a lot of reasons. Um, one of the things we talked about was a downward spiral into using drugs as well. Can you tell us about that period of your life and and um, what? you were basically doing to sabotage yourself at that time um you know the good moments the bad moments share a couple of stories with us (laughs) definitely definitely so look i don't i don't hide it because i think we all face addiction of some kind in our life we all have vices um for some people those vices can be good they can be bad i think it's also how we view them so the big one was that i become addicted to training and I had this idea that I was going to compete and I was going to be the next best thing or I was going to be the best version of myself. And I met up with a few like-minded people and they pushed me into this really hard style of training. And mm. it was really good at the time. It, it definitely served its purpose. But where it started to spiral out of control was the 
I guess, performance enhancement side. And now prior to doing this, when I was a young kid, I'd, I'd played around in the, um, the street drugs and whatnot, you know, a few party favors here and there, but you know, nothing like this. And this, this was a world of its own because a lot of people don't talk rawly about it. They, they kind of, pussyfoot around it to, to put it frankly you know everybody has their idea and their own i guess view on it but until you lived it you really don't know mm-hmm. and i i started my first ever like cycle getting ready for competing and uh i just spiraled it was just a aggressive spiraling mess and i didn't see it until i stopped it and the big thing was at the end of the day, like nobody could tell me, you know, I was losing friends. I couldn't hold relationships down. And I was just sabotaging myself because it was all for this strong person that I wasn't. And, and that was it. Like I look back and I laugh about it now and I think, you know, wow, like if I could just go back and go wake up to yourself, you, you might be lifting, you know, these ridiculous amounts of weight, but you're not strong, man. You're you're weaker than the strong, like the weakest person in this gym because you're not owning your emotion. You're not in touch with that. You're not mm. processing all of this. And the big thing was that I, I spent probably a good three years to three and a half years on this, uh, going on and off, coming on and off. And it wasn't until I had a very serious health scare that I kind of was like, okay, I need to do something about this. Mm. Now, the problem was that an addictive personality like mine, I was, I was dealing with a lot of depression and I wasn't able to really function. So I wasn't really sleeping. And the big thing was at the end of this, like sleep was paramount to me being able to perform for the next yep. day. Mm. And I started to get hooked into some sleeping agents, I guess, on the shelf. Uh, which are no longer on the shelf. And then I got recommended some other harsher things and pretty much these just completely destroyed my life for a good six months. And I was running businesses and while I thought I was running them very well, I was probably running them very poorly. And then to come off these, I started using other stuff because I just become so dependent on them that I couldn't function. I couldn't turn left. If you asked me to turn left, you know, I'd walk in the walls. And the problem was that when I come off this, the depression was at its all time worst. And this is when it would truly hit me that I had a problem. Mm. And the problem wasn't the drugs. It was the fact I was masking this reality that I was this strong, independent person that just got on with things and bottled them up. And really I was the weakest chain in that link. Mm. And, um, I think looking back at that moment when I just discovered that I still didn't action it. And that would be the biggest thing I say is like action that thought don't just go, Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a weak link. It's mm. okay. How do I become that strong link? Mm. So what was the real turning point? Because look, uh, you've had some health problems that have come from that time. Um, yeah. You know, that doesn't sound like that was it because you had that addiction to it. When was the last straw for you? Um, with the anabolic side, with the performance enhancements, I was in a relationship that was quite toxic and we both just competed, just did our thing. And to me, it was everything. It was always 
you know, we're going to compete, we're going to conquer the world, we're going to we're going to do all of this. And coming from that poor background, it was always about making money. It was always capital. And it was always everything in the bank. So it was the value of what you had, the value of you as a person. And then all of a sudden, I had just started to deteriorate. Mm. And I started to notice that my mental health wasn't getting better and my relationships weren't getting better. And I couldn't hold down anything for longer than a couple of months. And I was getting into fights every other day. And I'm not just talking, you know, like a little punch on, like these were big, big fights. And I was worried about my future. And it was my last moment where I was sitting there and I thought to myself, if I don't change this, if I don't remove this from the equation, then I can't really say I tried. And I'm a big believer in you've got to try. You've got to give everything a shot and you've got to make sure that you've, you've done everything you possibly can. And if you fail, well, that's, that's okay. We can get back up. We can get moving. But if you haven't tried, then, you know, so for me, it was this moment in my life where I had pretty much checked out of reality. And it was the last time I attempted to take my own life. And the big, the big factor in all of this, man, was honestly the performance enhancements. Mm-hmm. Because to you, getting cut off on the road are probably just a, you know, a dumb incident, bad day, if anything, if it's a bit of road rage. To me, this was the moment I checked out of life. This was the moment that it was 12 o'clock on a Thursday and I still remember it, you know, I was driving down the road and I got cut off and that was it. I just went, this world's against me. And it was just the chemical imbalance in my brain that told me this. But because I was so angry, I just, I, I took action. You know, I went home on my lunch break and I started writing notes to people because when I lost my mum, I wanted answers and I didn't have those answers. So I started writing my notes, started leaving things ready to go. You know, I went and trained after work and I trained for two hours and it was a good session, man. It was a, it was a really good session. You know, I, for, for once, I actually felt like I had a purpose again. And, and I, I guess this is the thing, you know, when you start to unload and you detach from reality, to you, you're about to go commit something that's going to take the pain away. And for anyone who's angry, this is, this is the moment where you've got to pull yourself back in line because this is where you then take action. And the moment literally went that I went and trained, I went home and I committed an act. And I was very lucky that there was someone at the gym that had been watching me for quite some time. And she said to me, she was like, you know, you just don't seem yourself. You, you're not looking after yourself. And obviously being in the health and fitness industry, body image is a big thing. You know, you see me in the KFC drive-thru ordering a, a Zinger stacker every, every night or pizza, you're probably going to have a concern about it. Mm-hmm. So the big thing was, you know, she was paying attention and I found it creepy at first. I was like, can't have a stalker, but she was worried, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's, and that's the thing. So it was, um, I went home and I just went to commit this act and, it wasn't until it kind of started to go too far that I realized, wow, what have I done? You know, this is actually real. This is happening. This shit's, this shit's raw and this shit's, I can't put this back together. <laughs> so, you know, I was just very lucky that I had her and, and she actually was the person that, that saved me. And uh, I don't remember much from that night. I don't go into too much detail with it because it can trigger certain people. But that was the moment that I just went, fuck, I need to get my life together. Mm. and I need to do it by removing every kind of substance. So I went dry, man. I went completely dry of everything. No, no, no pharmaceutical drugs, no sleeping drugs, no 
um, you know, performance enhancements, even supplements that would help with dependencies. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch them. Mm. And that was the moment where I just went, okay, now let's take action. So there must have been people in your life that really didn't know how deep you were. How did you share this stuff with them? Because going off everything at that stage and kind of making that resolution, did you go and talk to them about it then and say, did you know that this was happening and this is my my new resolution, keep me accountable to it? Someone like your dad, for example, or a brother or a sister or someone like that? I only only have my brother and my sister my dad's not in the picture okay but i when all of this happened i then not long after i lost my businesses Mm. so i lost everything and i'm talking completely back to square one and i was forced to move to a new town so when you think that you're gonna you're gonna do this in in the big reality of you know i've got this and i've got support around me i didn't Mm. but it was amazing man like it was it was the moment where i woke up and i just went wow like i'm I'm here because the thing is when you're in that corner and you're, you're hanging on to dear life, it's, it's you that can pick yourself up and pull yourself out of that hole. And that was the reality of it. I needed to be accountable to myself. So I let everybody else know around me. And the way I did this was I talk about it in the stores. You know, people come in and, and face these problems. I talk about it to them. And it was my way of being able to go, okay, hold me accountable. Because if I'm preaching it, then... I've got to be going through it and fixing it myself. So I turned my Instagram into a full mental health blog and, you know, I copped a lot of backlash for that. A lot of people don't understand it. That's cool. But to me, the amount of messages I get off guys, you know, three o'clock in, in the morning and they go, man, I just found your page by accident. And man, it, it saves me. You know, a lot of them don't like the content. They don't, they don't actively show up on there, but they message because they're ashamed of it. Mm. So, you know, on my own, I realized that it was this accountability to myself. And I told my brother, I said, you know, like, I'm going to remove any negativity from my life. And I actually cut him off for a little bit because he was quite negative about it all. You know, he wanted me to get revenge. And I was done with that because revenge is, is an emotion like just fueled by anger. Mm. So I'm not going to take that action. And so, you know, I just did my own thing and kept myself accountable and set myself little goals and, you know, being in the stores, talking about it, putting it on social media. It was, it was my way of being accountable. So I would say that my Instagram and my, my social media has become my way of being accountable. And, you know, people pick up on it because when I have a bad run, they go, oh, man, you, you've been a bit negative lately. And it, and it brings me back to, oh, yeah, hey, check yourself. What's going on? How is life different for you now? For someone who's listening to this and they have found themselves in this downward spiral and maybe they're suicidal themselves, it all seems too much. You've said about really taking ownership of your life and you are the person that needed to step up and pull yourself out of the hole. I mean, what what has changed in you? A lot, man, but the biggest one, and I, and I say this to everybody, is I still wake up every morning and the first thought that pops in my head is, you know, I wish I was dead, but it's a thought. And if I allow that thought, just like you're going to have a shower or eat cereal, if I allow that thought to be then taken by action, then we've got a problem Mm. because now I'm not just thinking about it, but I'm actively thinking about it. And now I'm not actively thinking about it. I'm taking execution. 
And this was the problem. Like I would, I would say it to everybody, you know, you stand in the mirror of a morning and you tear yourself apart and then you go, okay, I'll be good. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do good today. Today's going to be a better day. And then you're right back there in the, in the nighttime in front of that mirror, ripping yourself apart. Mm. You know, it's a vicious cycle. And I say to everybody, you know, I still have those thoughts. Uh, I had one before Christmas because Christmas is a really hard time for me. And mm. I, I got stuck in a hole and I actually had a seminar that I was doing, man. And I, I was almost going to pull out of it. I was like, I can't do this. I'm a fraud. And then the biggest thing I say to people is that at the end of the day, it's that moment of that thought and how we then move on. So for me, I, I still have them. I still have my down days, but it's a bad day, not a bad life. You know, that light at the end of the tunnel, it's there and it's not a freight train. It's not about to hit you. Mm. just need to take those baby steps and reach out to the people. And and I'm lucky, man, because I've got a, a best mate that's a brother to me. And, you know, he was he was there right beside me. He was one of the people that I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, and he held my hand and babied me and we talk every single day, mm. you know, and he, he went through the same situation but didn't talk about it because same deal, man, that mm. strongest, weakest link. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel I feel so much better now because I, I sit with my emotion when it happens. Mm. I definitely do. You know, I'll never let a moment pass where, like my mum, where I just got on with life. Like everything needs to be felt and dealt with, and that's a big part of it. But mm. at the end of the day, you also need to not dwell on what could have been. So unless it's actually something that's happened, I just don't. I don't serve it energy. So I feel a lot more free. I feel a lot more in control. I feel I, I look forward to the future where it used to scare me. And I think that that come from being alone in an unknown town with unknown people and not knowing what was next, but just knowing that it had to be better than what I come from. And I, and I say it all the time, when you've lived a life dead on the inside, death doesn't, it doesn't scare you. It humbles you out. You know, mortality is feared, but it shouldn't be. So. I, w- I would definitely say it, it, it's humbled me. It's brought more light to my to my relationships, mm. and most importantly, it's made me enjoy all the little things. Yeah, yeah. And you've got kids yourself now, don't you? Yeah. So I'm a a stepdad. So I've recently taken on the role of that, and it's been a very challenging thing for me, uh, especially with having depression and whatnot. You know, they demand a lot of energy, as you as you all know. Mm-hmm. But uh, the biggest thing is a kid's got all the hope in the world that it's going to be a beautiful place Mm. as a a super dad. Like that's our role to show that. And I think talking about our emotions and telling our kids not to just man up or stop being a baby or, you know, referring to things as just that toxic masculinity of, oh, you're a boy, you can't feel that, you're not allowed to do that removing that that's what makes us a super dad i think that's what makes us a real man at the end of the day the people that let their kid be a kid so yeah i did man it was um it was very interesting the way it all happened but i wouldn't change it yeah and tell us about your relationship with your partner now i mean you've been through um through a lot with your personal life and obviously through some very toxic relationships and and being a toxic person in the relationship with the amount of aggression that you were feeling at that time with all of those drugs and everything how is that different for you now and she obviously knows so much about you because you are out there 
expressing this honesty in the world. So does that come across to your relationship now too? Are your communication skills just so much better? Definitely, man. I don't I don't really hide much in the sense of how I'm feeling. If I'm having a bad day, you know, what's going on in my life, I don't hide. I don't hide anything. And the biggest thing I don't hide is my emotions. Mm. And when we first started dating, I said to her, look, this is me. This is what I bring to the table. And I'm not your typical dude. You know, your typical dude's that the guy that's not really in touch with their emotions or classifies it as feminine or whatever it may be, right? That stereotypical male. Mm. I'm not that. I'm emotional. But there's a reason. The anger, you know, I still battle with it, man. But I would never take it out on her as I once would because I was angry at myself for letting myself get into that hole Mm. and I took it out on everyone around me. So our relationship is very much based on a mutual respect of encouragement of expressing emotion and being 100% transparent with how you feel because she's quite an emotional girl herself. So, you know, she'll cry over something as my first, like, run to an emotion is going to be the anger as now it's not. I, I like to process what's going through. And you know, I recently had a bit of an episode where I did get angry and I just stood back and I went, stop, don't say the words, walk away, leave it, just clear your head. You know, and then I sent her a message and just told her what was up and she was cool with it because when we first started dating, it was just that open, expressed emotion. Yeah, yeah. So... Let's say someone's listening to this podcast and they are feeling very depressed and even suicidal themselves. What's your message to them? Don't take action. Don't let that thought be manifested into more than just a thought. You know, everybody has those negative talks in their own head. We all self-talk. But the thing that I say to everybody now that has those moments replace it with why you're feeling like it. Mm. What's it trying to show you? Because the biggest thing is when I was in those holes, like you've got to remember I lost my only parent when I was 20. So it was like my whole world went mute. So I had to learn to clap for my own wins. But guess what comes with that? You've got to learn to pick yourself up, brush yourself off and get moving forward through any obstacle in life. Mm. And I didn't have anybody to give me any kind of advice either. So the big thing I say to people is everything has a lesson. And when you understand that without dark, you wouldn't see light, you know, that's a big one Mm. because it's all about the perspective of things. And while you feel like you're having it the worst in the world, I remember it was when I just moved relocated towns and I said to this little girl in a wheelchair that come into the store, I was like, how's your day? And she's like, it's amazing, you know, so happy, so ecstatic. And I was just like, wow, like here I am being upset about, I don't even know. So I think the biggest thing is it's, it's all perspective. It's how you look at it. You know, I look at losing my mother now as, as a positive in a, in, a, in a certain way because it taught me the value of people. And I would never have learned that without losing her. So I'm very thankful for that. So for anybody who's, you know, down at the moment, just know that there is, there is a light and it isn't a freight train. And opening up and expressing to the right people, and that's a key to the right people, not just everybody and anybody, because a lot of people will say they want to help and they don't. They don't want to help. So So that's you open up to. That leads me to the next question, which is 
if we know someone who is depressed and suicidal at the moment, what should our strategy be to to really help them through that time? Look, everybody says it's different for for everybody, but I think the biggest thing is that really upset me when I was depressed was telling them to get over it. It's like the guy with a broken leg in the wheelchair and telling him to walk. Mm. You know, it's the same thing as someone dying in a hospital bed and saying, oh, you've got heaps of life left in you. You know, it's, mm. it's those moments where you could be kind and caring and compassionate and sit with them. And the biggest thing I say to everybody, don't compare your life to theirs mm. because everybody's pain is relevant. And the big, big factor is I remember when someone said to me, oh, you know, I lost my dog of 13 years. And I was like, man, I lost my mom. And you're comparing her to a dog. Mm. But I look at that now as loss is loss. You know, it's understanding that that dog of 13 years might have been what my mother was to me, to them. So the big thing I say to people that are going to help people, make sure you've got the time to actually allow them to unpack that box. Mm. Because if they start unpacking that box and then you frantically put it back together for them, you haven't fixed anything. You've made it worse. Mm -hmm. So show that love, show that compassion, don't relate. And most importantly, don't tell them to just get over it. You know, we know how to be happy because at the end of the day, we, we try. The first thing in the morning, I would try to be happy or do the things I love, but mm -hmm. you lose the joy for them. Yeah. Mickey Kennedy, thank you so much for sharing your message with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to um, to put something out there that I know can impact a lot of people's lives with some really, you know, um, key learnings from what has been a, a troublesome life up to this point. But I'm really glad that you are um, doing so well now and just know that you've got a very supportive group in the Super Dads as you step up as a stepdad. And um, let's let's keep you moving forward as well. Yeah, awesome, man. It was a pleasure to be on your show. Keep doing the amazing things you're doing for all the super dads out there. And I'm sure I'll be seeing more positive coming from your way. Good on you, man. Have a great Thanks, day. Thanks, mate. Have a good day. Whether you're a dad or not, if you listen to the show and you love what you heard, please go to www.patreon.com slash superdads online and sign up as a patron for just $5. Hear me on the next episode of The Super Dad Show. Thanks for listening.